We're going to continue in our Acts series today in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And uh, my sermon this morning is entitled, Removing Our Idols. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me. We're not going to read the whole thing again, but we will reference it a lot. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. You see, the truth is, whether we like to admit it or not, We all have our idols. They might not be images made of stone, silver, or gold, but as Timothy Keller puts it, an idol is anything that is more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart or your imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to get from it, what only God can give to you. We all have our idols. No, they might not be images made from men's hands, but they're ideas fashioned from men's hearts. As John Calvin states, a man's nature, so to speak, is a continual factory of idols. And unlike the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, who when in Athens around the plethora of idols found himself provoked to his spirit, when he saw the countless mirage of images around him, who, who was, according to the scriptures, was deeply disturbed in his soul, unlike the Apostle Paul, we find ourselves not provoked about idols, but enamored by them. If we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves drawn to our idols, that we'll sacrifice time and effort and money and strength and sleep just to grasp what we want. We all have our idols. Now here's the thing about idolatry that's so offensive to God because it's a sin like any other sin in that it distorts the image of God. Think of it with me for a moment. Back in Genesis, the Bible says that God created the world in six days. And do you remember, do you recall, what did God create on the sixth day? Mankind. And picture it with me, that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. But idolatry takes that story and flips it right upside on its head. That instead of God forming man out of the dust of the ground, it is man who forms God out of the dust of the ground, or out of stone or gold or silver. Idolatry, if we're not careful, modern day idolatry, If we're not careful, we can serve our idols just like the ancient Greeks served theirs. You know, my brother and I, uh, we went out to watch a baseball game uh, at the Orioles maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, Anyone an Orioles fan here? They're not doing so hot uh, this year. I'm not a big baseball fan, but I like going out there. And uh, we were there, they were playing the Angels, and, and up to bat came this really tall, handsome, 
uh, Asian guy, maybe 6'4", super strong, really handsome. And I had never seen this in my life before, at least in, in real life. But as, as he got up to bat, everyone pulled up their cell phones. Have you seen that before? And they started recording him. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I, was, I thought out loud. I was like, Michael, what is everyone doing? And he said, oh, you don't know who this is? It's Shohei Otani. He's the guy considered to be the MVP in baseball of this league because not only can he throw a ball over 100 miles per hour, but he leads the league in home runs. And for those of us who maybe aren't big into baseball, that's a really big deal. That's like a Babe Ruth of our time. So they were all there video recording him. Uh, I'm not here to judge anyone <laughs> because God knows I have my sports idols. When I was at seminary with a friend who's a pastor down in uh, Missouri, uh, we drove from Andrews University all the way to Cleveland to see LeBron James play when they were any good. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, and we actually, I didn't buy the tickets, but he bought the tickets and we actually sat courtside. I don't know how he did that on a seminary stipend, but we, we did it. We did it. I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm just trying to illustrate the point that we all have our idols. Sports idols, music idols, the cliche American idol, movie idols, political idols, religious idols. Some of our idols are not people, but inanimate objects like cash and cars, houses and boats, dresses and jewels. And listen, these things in and of themselves, they're not, they're not bad things by themselves. But when they become more important to us than God, when they start to absorb our attention and our imagination more than God, when we start to try to get from these idols what only God can give us, we're in a serious, difficult circumstance with idolatry. And in our passage this morning, even though we could mention a whole lot about idolatry because it's littered throughout the Bible, if you look at verse 17 in our story this morning, we see that Paul dealt with idolatry in a very interesting way. The verse says, in Paul's reaction, therefore Paul, he, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentiles and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. What is this teaching us about idolatry? Is that our first reaction to idolatry is not to repent or to remove them from our lives, but the first reaction is to rationalize our idols. We rationalize why the idols exist in our lives. Paul, he has to reason with the people in Athens, not only the people on Mars Hill, but the people in the synagogues, in the marketplace, and his faithfulness reasoning with the people in those smaller spheres opened up an avenue for him to preach on a larger sphere. And, 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 and notice, please, that who he's, who he's reasoning with, who have rationalized their idolatry. He's not talking to the average individual on the street who might not be able to read or write. No, 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 no. He's He's reasoning, he's rationalizing with the PhDs in society, 
the THDs, the doctorates, the MDs, the DDSs, the DMINs. He's, he's reasoning with those who are the most intellectual people in all of society. You see, there's a danger to be overly educated and overly credentialed. The Bible is clear that the more knowledge we have, the more puffed up we become. And the more intellect we have, we're in danger of allowing our God-given gift of our mind to be used as a tool to rationalize our idolatry. It's not a coincidence that the most idols ever placed in the New Testament mention are in Athens, where you have the most educated people, the, philo the, the, the philosophers, the, 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 the most academic people in society. Where there is the most academics, there is the most idolatry. And I think, according to my uh, sparse research, Maryland, I think, is one of the most academic states in America. Listen, I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm just saying that we have our idolatry and uh, we rationalize our idolatry in our life. I told you guys I went to go see uh, LeBron James play. I don't know if you guys are basketball fans, but uh, when we went over there, me and my friend, if you were to ask us, how do you rationalize you know, your buddy spending so much money to go to this basketball game? And you know, you know what he would say? Dead serious. He would be dead serious about it. He'd say, it's evangelism. It's like, well, it's evangelism? What? He said, look, after the game, when you pay money to sit courtside, you can, you can meet the players in the tunnel after the game. And so we went to the game with desire of ages, with steps to Christ, with great controversy, no lie. And after the game, we met the players, the famous NBA players in the tunnel, and we gave them a desire of ages. We gave them a steps to Christ. I promise you, it's on video. He actually gave LeBron James a steps to Christ. It's on video. <laughs> uh, but did we go there for evangelism? No. We went there to watch a good basketball game. We could have mailed him a steps to Christ if we wanted to. You know, this is just to illustrate the point that when we have idols in our life, instead of removing them from our lives, instead of getting rid of them in our lives, we rationalize it. And I wonder as you're sitting here today, what the Holy Spirit is placing on your heart and mine. Is it money? Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it accomplishment? Is it education? What is it that is more important to you than God? What is it that absorbs your attention and your imagination more than God? What is it that tries to, you try to get from it that only God can give to you? You know, I've struggled with my own idolatry. I was writing a sermon on Mars Hill, very academic, very professional. It was done. It was good. I was like, man, this is going to be impressive. And then I went back to my room on my laptop and I started looking up cars, brand new cars for like an hour. And I thought to myself, there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong where I can write a sermon that's intellectually uh, sophisticated and, and well done, but still my heart is drawn to things more than God when I put my, put my head to sleep. 
I wonder if you have your own idols that you've struggled with. I wonder if there's something in your life that's just more important to you than God. And maybe you've struggled with it the way I've struggled with idolatry. Maybe you've wrestled with it and, you're, and you've tried your hardest to, to remove these idols in your life that, that get in the way. You know, I look at the young people over there and I, I feel for them because they have challenges that I didn't face when I was growing up. They have these suckers. I didn't get this till I was a senior in university. And they get this at the age of 10, you know? And they have, to, they, have to, they have to fight against this. And we'll rationalize why it's okay. We'll say, oh, you know, I, I don't got time to pray, but I got time to play a game. I don't got time to, to read the Bible, but I got time to read the latest news or the recent tweet. Uh, I pray for our young people because they're dealing with challenges. Not only this, this is just one example that you and I, we never had to face. But maybe you struggle with an idol in your life. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your uh, desire for greatness. Who knows what it is? But you need to recognize that it's not, the struggle with idolatry is not just a regular struggle with, with an intellectual decision. We're dealing with spiritual realities. Our struggle is not an academic exercise, but we, we fight against spiritual warfare. Doesn't the Bible say we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places? For us to fight our idols, to remove the idols in our life, there is only one power that can give us the strength to overcome. And that is the power that comes through a personal relationship with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be free from the idols in your life? Do you want to be free from the things that offer you satisfaction but only leave you feeling empty? There is power in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at our passage this morning. How did Paul deal with idolatry in his time? Did he, did he take out a bat like Shohei Otani and just start smashing them? Poof, poof, poof. No, he didn't. He started to preach the resurrection and death of Jesus Christ. You see, the Epicureans, they had invented a God who was deistic, meaning he was distant and disattached. Their God could not help them. Their God could not set them free. The Stoics had invented a God who was pantheistic. He was an impersonal principle of reason in the universe. He gave you good vibes, you could say. He could not help them. He could not set them free. But Paul preached a creator God who created the heavens and the earth. He preached a God who would judge the heavens and the earth. He preached a God who loved his people enough to come and die on the cross for their sins. He preached to Jesus who died and resurrected. And it is only by the power that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ can you be saved from your idols. You know, my uh, nationality is sometimes a mystery here in America. 
<laughs> I've learned that. People who are Spanish, they say, hey, hola, Espanol. And I say, no hablo Espanol. And I probably mess that up. Uh, some people, you know, think I'm Indian and I like Indian food. So if you want to eat Indian food, I'm, I'm open to that. Uh, but my, uh, my nationality is actually, I'm, I'm Italian. My dad is this big, tall, white Italian. And my mom is this little bitty, little Filipino. <laughs> uh, and my dad is an engineer by trade. Uh, he's really good with his hands. He spent his whole life building schools and, and, and houses. Uh, but his son, me, I'm not really good with my hands. Uh, I'm not really handy. M my wife makes a joke and she says, look, in life, when you get married, you can marry someone who's either handy or romantic. You, dear, are romantic. <laughs> That's her way of saying, look, you can't fix anything. If something breaks in the house, do you know who fixes it? She does. She does. Role reversal. That's all right. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a little ashamed of it. I'm a little ashamed of it. Uh, and, you know, there are things about putting stuff together that I understand intellectually. Like we have a bed frame that's from Costco that's been sitting there in the hallway and I know how to put it together. I know how to do it. It's, it's intellectually easy, but when my hands start putting things together, it doesn't work. Uh, there's a basketball hoop my, I, I had in my garage for like three months. I intellectually know how a basketball works. It's really not complicated, but I had to wait for my father-in-law to come down from Canada for us to put it together. Intellectually, I understand how to do these things, but I lack the ability. I lack the skill. You could call it, I lack the power to get it done on my own. You know, it's the same way with our idolatry. It's the same way with any kind of sin that we struggle with. We might understand what the right thing is to do, but we lack the ability. We lack the power. And that power only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You look in the heart of this message, Paul preaches to the Athenians and he, and he tells them, listen, even your own poets tell you that God is not distant, that God is near you. Even your own poets tell you that, that you're his offspring, that you're children of God. And that the only way to remove the idols in your life is to let Jesus in. You let Jesus in, He'll move the idols out. You try to fight the idols on your own, you're going to get more idols all around you. The only way to have power over your idols in your life is to let Jesus in and he will move the idols out. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot. We are too weak. We are too feeble. But God in his power, God in his love, when you accept him into your heart, when you say, Lord Jesus, take control, he will come in and he will move the idols out. And dear brothers and sisters, I can tell you that letting Jesus in is the only thing that will bring you joy. I can tell you letting Jesus in is the only thing that will bring you satisfaction and contentment. I can tell you from experience, only letting Jesus in can it make the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
And so I appeal to you, what is it in your heart and mind today, over the last few weeks, that has been absorbing your attention, that has been more important to you than God? I pray that like me this week, you would repent, that you would put it at the feet of Jesus and you'd say, God, I choose you. I choose Jesus. The rest of this stuff you'll handle, but I'm going to choose Jesus today. How many of you want to choose Jesus and put him first in your life? Amen. God bless you. God bless you.